Hi, this is Steve Crom, and welcome to the ValioCon podcast and the Power of Collaboration series. I'm happy to be here with uh, Nobu Ota, who's the partner from ValioCon responsible for the Asia-Pacific region, and to have the opportunity to explore a bit more about the international collaboration between Japanese colleagues, American, European colleagues. Uh, thank you, Nobu, for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Hello, uh, my name is Nobu. I'm a partner based in uh, Tokyo for Baleocom, uh, covering Asia-Pacific business. Uh, it's a, kind of my personal passion. I, uh, you know, I was born in Tokyo, but then I went to uh, school in U.S. for a short period of time. And then I started uh, my career at the Sony in a global marketing function. And uh, fortunate enough, I was uh, seconded to uh, Sony's Italy operation in the second year. And then I was really exposed to uh, something different. I you know, wanted to be there, but that was a really amazing time. Coming back to Tokyo, then I did my uh, study, and then I went to London to uh, do my degree to study how the organization affects people's behavior, etc. And then I started, uh, you know, coming back to Japan, I started working for several consulting firms. I joined uh, GE when GE was acquiring a lot of Japanese companies, where my challenge was to uh, how a Japanese company can be integrated into the way GE runs the business. And then after that, I switched myself to a consultant and uh, joined Valeocon for about 10 years. So uh, that's my personal passion to uh, talk about this topic. And I think it's uh, lucky for us to, to have you on the team Thank and you. someone who understands so clearly the relationships and interrelationships and how different cultures think and, and, and tick. So maybe in the interest of helping some of our um, non-Japanese colleagues think about the, the, the puzzle and the mystery of how to, to work in Japan, because you are a bit of an island shrouded by mist, right? Does it look like so? <laughs> um, actually, it's yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that, that you and I experienced on a project was how Japanese companies and executives make decisions. And one thing I noticed when you and I worked together with a Japanese client on an international project was that... We thought we had a, an agreement, and then somehow it gets revisited. And I, I remember once, uh, I think we went six times no? around right. the, yes. the same topic, more like a coffee percolator, yeah. up and yeah. down. But can you give us a little bit more, yeah, your thoughts about how decisions are made and yep. characters? Yep. That? Well, first of all, uh, it's always uh, kind of dangerous to make a stereotype. Uh, but I think this stereotype, too, is uh, good enough to understand most of the a large-sized Japanese companies, especially of manufacturing origins. And also the companies uh, which have a long history, typically, like more than 50, 60 years. And uh, in such uh, uh, companies, uh, the top executives are the ones who have uh, made it uh, his way through uh, by staying in one organization, uh, by conforming to the way how the company was run through. And then finally, you know, he made it to, to the top. And if you, you know, think about this mechanism of going up to the, the top position, uh, basically uh, it was really not by proposing something provocative, but trying to conform to what the boss uh, is thinking about, to guess about what is expected of me uh, without uh, me saying something, this is what we should do, or this is what the company should be doing. So somehow, uh, even if there's a top management uh, even um, becoming a top management, it doesn't mean now I feel free to do something I want to do, uh, etc. Uh, of course, some people would do, but uh, you know, in, 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 in for the sake of generalizing the topic, if I were a top management of Japanese company, I would simply give some 
uh, uh, area for, uh, uh, for, for my managers to you know, propose me back. Mm-hmm. For example, what should we do to globalize our operations? Right. Uh, what we should do in terms of right-sizing or organization? I may have some ideas, but I may just uh, say it to my uh, guys. And then those guys would uh, you know, come up uh, with some you know, ideas. But then, even if they propose me back, I would say, well, something doesn't fit my, uh, you know, uh, expectation. No, I don't think I can make decision enough. Uh, I, I cannot make decision now. Right. Can you just go back and study this point a bit? Uh-huh. Not uh, clarifying what do I need to hear to make my decision. So that type of, uh, uh, you know, uh, exchanging of a dialogue could sometimes continue for five or six times. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when I come to the point where I cannot argue anymore, Sometimes I may not even say, I, okay, I am now voting, I'm going to decide on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, board of, executor, uh, board of directors meeting, the, uh, the topic is discussed, and then somehow I don't say anything about it. And then it, it's taken as a not no. And people estimate that, oh, okay, he was not objecting to the idea, so now we feel fine to do so uh, typically, that's the how uh, uh, the decision is made. Uh, you know, coming up and then uh, coming down, uh, some exchange of uh, meetings, etc. So it sounds like uh, it would be, you know, quite typical in a Japanese organization that the senior leader would provide room for people to to develop ideas, right. to work on ideas, and then it's this dialogue, it's this back and forth, and clarity and. As things be, so, it, so it's it's a part of the kind of discovery design process, if you will, not to use our language. I, I think so. And taking it positively, it's a room for middle managers to digest what the, the top management says, and then craft uh, some ideas, right. uh, thinking about the future, thinking about the customer. This is what the company should be doing. Because I was given the homework or assignment from my right. top management to think uh, or propose something back to him. Right. So uh, typically, if uh, uh, such is the message, or if uh, I can take you know uh, this homework as something inspiring for me that I, I can propose back to top management, right. and if top management supports it, that's something I can do for the company. Right. So uh, when positively it's working, uh, this is how it works. Right. Vice versa, if it's not working uh, in a good way, uh, I don't really know what you know my top management wants to do right. and. You know, I have to explore what's the boundary of his yes and no. And uh, sometimes my, you know, attention becomes uh, not to the market, not to the competitors, but to uh, have my top management uh, think that I did a good job uh, type of the, the the mission becomes my objective. So uh, when it's not working good, that's how, you know, things happen. Right, right. Fascinating. That, that, That helps a lot. So it's really senior leaders in the best circumstances giving middle managers room to be creative, to explore without dictating to them. And so from the outside, it may look like uncertainty. Yeah. And, and, and we had to give it, but it's more of the process of developing an idea that's robust. That's very helpful. Right. Great. Good. Um, another thing that I've noticed with, with clients, and I think this may be the relationships are between headquarters in Japan mm-hmm. and then non, and then subsidiaries out in the different countries. And, I noticed, for example, liaison officers that uh, Japan headquarters might send to a U.S., mm-hmm. their U.S. affiliate. So it seems different to me in how Japanese companies think about their overseas 
operations and perhaps other uh, international companies? Can, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, again, this is a topic where it's kind of risky to generalize, but in, for, the, for the sake of sharing the, uh, you know, something I can feel safe to generalize, uh, I think the Japanese company, most of uh, the cases, we still have a tendency to have quite hierarchical uh, decision-making system, not even involving overseas subsidiaries, even for the domestic uh, sales offices or even for the factories. Uh, often the case, headquarters have uh, quite a big power mm. to decide things. And of course, you know, uh, headquarters can decide something big, but if it's, uh, you know, after they have heard enough from what's really happening in the market, what's happening in the U.S., for example, etc., then home headquarters decides, uh, that would be, you know, something good. But meantime, uh, the level or amount of information uh, passing from those front line back to the headquarter is not always necessarily uh, uh, enough uh, or to the point uh, so that headquarter can feel confident to decide the big decisions. Mm. I think there is a room uh, to really uh, empower some of the key decisions uh, to be made by uh, uh, you know, in a way of saying, but local subsidiaries or local uh, factories to uh, somewhere where the real uh, wisdom or intelligence is uh, residing, and that's where the decision should be made. But I think uh, our hierarchical way of thinking still remaining in Japanese organization make it hard uh, that we trust, the, you know, the local frontline people to make you know, decisions. I think we better be informed before, even if we may listen to their proposal. So typically, I, I think there's a risk of delaying some of the key decisions or sometimes misunderstanding from the limited uh, channel of information, which typically only come from the Japanese experts sometimes, uh, to uh, make uh, uh, you know, a uh, decision that's not good enough or to the point. Right. Right. So it's about the decision-making and, and, and the kind of the responsibility, if it's really channeled ultimately to the headquarters in Japan, then the liaison officer, for example, is supposed to be a, a static free channel of information back. Right. That, that's, I guess if I were a Japanese leader in Tokyo, I would want to have unfiltered information, right? And, and so maybe that's a part of the, the challenge is to get good right. information for big decisions. Great. And maybe just to finish up in terms of if, if I, as a, as a European or uh, American colleague want to be effective in collaborating with my Japanese colleagues. What, what are some of the things I need to keep in mind or I should be aware of? So uh, don't maybe something like uh, even if you see silence, please don't take it that you know, people are not thinking anything. Rather, uh, you could be start observing uh, how you know, uh, people are sort of you know, uh, expressing their opinions. Right. And uh, of course, you can you know, ask your people to be uh, more open. This is a bit of culture challenge. Right. But meantime, uh, in the first few months, uh, please don't think that silence, uh, you know, means nothing. But don't <clears throat> interpret silence as lack of interest. Right. Or, right. Exactly. And vice versa, dues uh, probably uh, is a, a amount of communication. Uh, uh, this is sort of a you know situation these days. Everybody is busy. And even if you may come as an expert, you have your own task to do. And time to uh, communicate with your new people, especially even for a new expert to be in Japan. Uh, so many things to do. And eventually, uh, you know, people may be falling to executing your job and forgetting about communi communicating with people. 
because of the nature, as I said, you know, sometimes silence, a bit reserved, waiting for being talked to. Uh, I think, you know, talking frequently, making sure that you are day-to-day looking at, you know, your people, caring about them, uh, would be really a good kind of a stroke uh, that would uh, eventually uh, fasten to open up your, you know, Japanese team members to talk about some something candidly, honestly, etc. Right. Uh, so those would be definitely uh, frequency, frequency, and also quality of uh, communication at decent uh, 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 timing. So take time to to spend time, and I mean, I've noticed in Japanese business culture the the non office time, yeah, yeah. going for a drink or going doing what do things together is take. I, I hear you say take the time to build relationships, open the channels, establish trust. Yeah, I think a formal organization, informal organization exists everywhere on the planet if there is an organization. But I think Japan plus uh, oriental uh, uh, environment, I think informal organization or the importance of uh, uh, non-public office hours, uh, not the meeting, but you're just walking on the corridor, right. uh, is much more important. Right. Perfect. Well, that's super helpful, and thank you very much. And it's a... Uh, it's always a, a pleasure and a treat to be working together, and thank you very much for your your insights. So, and uh, and those of you who are who are listening, please uh, take the opportunity to visit other uh, podcasts on the website. And thank you for listening. Thanks, Steve. I enjoyed it too.